Welcome to High on the Hog with Merrill Schindler and co-host Joanna Belson. This is a podcast about all things cannabis. Tune in every week as Merrill and Joanna discuss the medical benefits of CBD and THC products with each other, as well as with informed guests from the cannabis industry and the lawmakers who regulate it. Enjoy the show. We're sitting here with Eric Opel, um, founder of Veterans Cannabis Coalition. Why is it needed? What, what, tell me the history of this. This is not something that I knew existed. So the Veterans Cannabis Coalition as an organization has existed for about 18 months. Uh, but what we represent are the millions of veterans who historic, today and historically have used cannabis uh, to treat service-connected issues um, and generally you, you know, prefer cannabis as a, or have found cannabis to be a, a far more effective and less harmful um, alternative to traditional you know, pharmaceutical drugs. I'm guessing that the military's rules against the use of cannabis are more doctrinaire, shall we say, than, than civilian? I mean, it's a, you know, it's a federal issue. So, I mean, the military is a, you know, it's a federal organization um, and they, you know, they abide by it. So, but, you know, the military also has essentially their own uh, separate, separate set of laws called the Unifor- Uniform Code of Military Justice. And it's basically illegal both federally, you know, at uh, Used to be at the state level, now less so, um, but federally and within the military, it's still uh, you know THC is, use. Is smoking a joint court-martial time? Generally, not. What happens, and this is this is, can be tied into uh, you can tie this into a lot of other issues that veterans have experienced. But um, a lot of veterans, you know, don't really have, or excuse me, a lot of active duty uh, people in the active duty military don't have a lot of uh, like medical you know options for you know relief when it comes to pain and other you know mental and physical health issues um their military doctors are sort of loath to prescribe anything you know more uh you know anything more than like ibuprofen you know there's it's a it's a sort of a joke that like you will you will go in with a broken back and you'll come out with an 800 mil, you know a pres- you know uh, a script for 800 milligram ibuprofen tabs um, really? Interesting. So, so there's a lot of undertreatment of pain and other issues within the military because essentially they look at it as you can't be taking, can't, can you be taking scheduled drugs like benzodiazepines and opioids and things, things which might be necessary and might be, you know, in another circumstance, you would be prescribed that. But you, since you're in the military, they're like, well, we'd prefer you to essentially self-medicate with alcohol, use ibuprofen. Uh, than actually, tr- you know, giving you time to recover or giving you, you know, medications that might uh, that might be more effective. So what people are left with is just a lot of untreated pain that they self-medicate with. Cannabis being, uh, you know, something that a lot of people, a lot of uh, active duty folks have turned to, but because it stays in your system, you know, if you especially well. Assuming they're not heavy smokers, I mean, between two weeks at least. I mean, depending on their metabolism and other factors, but. Um, doesn't it stay in your system for like 30 days? That's what they it, taught us. It, it really depends on like how much you use, uh, how long was, you've been using. and It was in the you know, same breath right. of you shouldn't take drugs and it stays in your system for 30 days. Right. So. My, underst- <laughs> right. My understanding, it's on frequency of use, length of use or duration of use and um, like your physical act, you know, because it stores in your fat cells. So like if you're in really great shape and you're exercising constantly, you know, and you but you're a daily user and you, and you quit for a week, you like you might be, you know, clear within a couple of weeks, whereas like. 
you know, someone myself, you know, I don't really get to the gym as much as I'd like to. It might take me, you know, with as much as I consume, you know, more. Interesting. More I never thought my fitness level helped get rid of the uh, <laughs> yeah. cannabis from my system. Well, that's, yeah, that's where the THC metabolites uh, reside. So I always told my parents it really helps metabolize and give me my muscle strength. Well, I, a, lot, <laughs> you know, a lot of athletes use it for uh, recovery and, uh, and uh, sometimes for even performance. So. You know, I, I mean, active duty military are in uh, so many worlds of harm and hurt and stress and difficulty that I, I, there must be a world of drugs that are used to get them through through a day, through through a lack of sleep, through a um, uh, through, through through stress, through through pain, through anxiety, through. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder through I, I mean it's it's a it's not what we go through even here on the freeways of Los Angeles which can be so stressful it's like you know you can die at any given moment um I I, I find it boggling that that they're giving although it's a very big dose of ibuprofen that they're giving Advil that is essentially it I mean like the 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 military the active duty military is chronically under medicated for what would I mean even even very um, tight pres you know like prescription guidelines for things like opioids and benzos you would still see far more of that within the active duty military than what you see now right because a lot of a lot of people just refuse to especially with mental health uh, issues they they will just not report that they will just you know muddle through it until their time and service is over and then try to basically get maybe you know maybe try to get treatment or help afterwards because there is no help while you're in the service they keep saying there is no but there one is will not. point out like hey my friend over there needs something well i mean essentially like is if you become flagged as a mental health issue or like you have or like you're either going to be facing you know increased scrutiny and stigma generally um, or they're going to try to like medical medically retire you or, or med board you out of the military because essentially you can't be in the military right. and have these issues. Right. And a lot of people and or not a lot of people, but some people do, you know, would like to make the military a career. And, you know, those are the folks who I, you know, I worry about most because they've they've been, you know, the 20 year plus folks who have especially the, of the post 9-11 generation since we've been at war for like 18 years straight. Right. There are folks now that are going to be retiring in the next few years that have only known, you know, our country in a period of active military combat deployments. Um, and the amount of deployments some of these folks have racked up, I mean, a dozen I mean, some in some of these career folks. I mean, I, you know, like spending the accumulative like six or seven years between Iraq and Afghanistan and, you know, overseas in various uh, capacities. I mean, like those are the folks that are going to be ma fa facing massive issues when they get out because what they're going to be prescribed if they go to the VA or private health for the things that they're going to indicate or they're going to um, claim if they even seek treatment, right? This, that's the other part, right? Because everyone knows that, uh, especially, you know, uh, once you've been out of the service, maybe younger folks, younger, act, you know, former or previously separate or recently separated active duty military don't quite grasp this, but is that like the VA is not necessarily your friend. I mean, it can't, it, don't get me wrong. It does a lot of good work, right? But it reflects a medical system that is in, a, that is broken. Right. right. Archaic. Right. And it's, you know, and the thing is, like whether you're a veteran in the VA or a veteran in private health, you, if you go to the doctor and you present with the things most, most veterans deal with, chronic pain, usually some like anxiety or depression, plus, you know, like secondary symptoms like insomnia and, you know, 
sexual dysfunction and all these other things that sort of all stack up and they're all kind of root caused, you know, back into military, you know, trauma experience in the military that was never resolved. And now you're stacking all these very toxic, you know, potentially deadly uh, pharmaceuticals on top of these issues that aren't really being treated. Right. So, I mean, that's, you know, and people wonder why that we have veteran suicide at the rate we do. There, there should be no wonder, right? Because look at how, look at how people who, with mental health are treated in this country. And now understand that most veterans are dealing with mental health uh, conditions of various kinds and various severities. Like, not every veteran has PTSD, right? right? Because very few, like... But there's a lot of, you know, because not every not every veteran has seen combat, but you don't necessarily have to see combat, to, to, you know, to experience PTSD. And there are a lot of other things that are not PTSD, but are sort of related, like depression and anxiety that are still basically traced back to military, you know, military trauma. We're also dealing with um, in, in the current wars, numerous uh, people who are stationed in places where it seems that drugs would be very, very available. It well, seems I mean, that, you know, States I mean, definitely. They're, they're, they're being <laughs> Afghanistan, they're, they're growing the stuff there. It's like, sure. it, I mean, is it on every street corner? I mean, it's. I, it, I mean, it's, I think you, you see similarities. Uh, are they smoking the peace pipe during the middle? <laughs> I, li- listen, I, you know, I've heard, you know, secondhand, firsthand stories of a lot of folks who have self-medicated while they were overseas or experimented, you know, opium and, you know, and, and Afghanistan also also grows and produces hash or, they, mm-hmm. you know, they grow cannabis and they produce hash. And as well as but like Pakistan and like neighboring countries. So like there's a there's a big market for um, psychoactive substances, definitely. And, you know, what we understand is that, you know, the Taliban and the other insurgent anti-government forces within Afghanistan largely support themselves off of the drug trade because it is so, you know, it like like the you know cartel, you know, the cartels in Central and South America. It's, it's very profitable to have prohibition. Right. Because prohibition is what is what creates the, the margins that cartels rely on to finance all of their other criminal activity, which is kind of, you know, which counterintuitive. Right. Perhaps. Right. <laughs> I mean, but and now, you know, you're seeing but when you what's and what you're seeing now just to sort of, you know, go off the cartel thing for a minute is like as we as more states legalize and as there becomes a legal supply within the United States of cannabis, the cartels see less and less reason to traffic in it. But the trade routes are still operating. So, you know, and cannabis is a lot bulkier and heavier. Well, just definitely a lot bulkier than other, you know, meth and heroin and, you know, fentanyl and all these other, uh, you know, far worse things. So, like, you you can see, like, there's there's like this push and pull uh, with any kind of like drug market and. The, the issue here is that, you know, where cannabis legalization is going to solve part of the problem, but ultimately it's a drug issue, right? It's a drug policy issue in this country. Cannabis is just pro- is perhaps the most like flagrant example of how wrong it is. But it's there's, you know, there's numerous examples of how how we deal with drugs, how we schedule, uh, you know, and basically how we categorize drugs. These are good drugs. These are bad drugs, right? Meth- methamphetamine, when it's th- when it's called desoxin. And it's uh, you know prescribed by a doctor is okay. Methamphetamine, when you buy it on the street corner, is not okay. You know, speed is fine, or excuse me, Adderall is fine, but speed is not right. Like we we make these distinctions about drugs and like you know, and it's not really even in recognition of their actual harm. Otherwise, you know, psilocybin and these you know you know plant-based hallucinogens wouldn't also be Schedule One drugs along with cannabis, right? Um, and I think it's just reflective again of of a very uh, 
it's a, I mean, it was a mindset motivated by government desire to control and punish, especially punish, and it's particularly punish people it didn't like, right? Uh, which for the most part were you know the poor and minority communities. Um, so I mean, like we when, whenever we talk about you know veterans or drug issues or anything else, right? Like the, the issues that veterans deal with are not unique to veterans. Um, and veterans exist in every community. So, you know, there are homeless veterans, there are minority veterans, there are women veterans, you know, there are veterans essentially, at, uh, and, you know, if you consider fam veteran families, then you can consider uh, children as well within this, like, frame of reference. But basically, they have all the experiences that, you know, Americans have. And, but what, you know, what, uh, you know, get being a veteran in this country provides is a platform to speak, to, you know, on those issues from your from your personal perspective, and what we're trying to do with cannabis is basically take this veteran perspective and say and try to help destigmatize and more importantly provide political cover <laughs> or momentum, however you want to phrase it, to others to evolve on this, right? Because this is not again not unique, but what veterans are saying about how cannabis helps them. It help you know it helps everyone else in the in the exact same ways right as an anti you know anti anxiety anti depressant potentially you know as a pain relief you know uh, you know and some some folks have experienced can't you know uh, uh, obviously success with fighting cancer using cannabis um, and all of that indicates that this thing has obvious medical use now it's just a question of can we get out of our own way and really you know embrace this thing for what it is and investigate it the way it should be. Um, was there an incident that led to your found your forming the Veterans Cannabis Coalition? Was there was there a thing that happened? So I mean, yeah, I mean, I was working in the American Legion uh, in D.C. At, before I started this, and I had been working sort of working my way up through D.C. on like a policy track, essentially, you know, working on national security issues. Um, and at the, my time at the Legion, you know, I was trying to link opioid the opioid crisis to as you know essentially frame that as a national security issue and you know as i was digging more into the opioid uh crisis and s sort of seeing all the you know all the thing you know all the the nuances around it and you know i kept seeing congress demanding you know saying hey we need a we need an alternative to opioids and i'm saying okay well i mean uh cannabis seems like a pretty good uh, pretty good place to start fentanyl not so good <laughs> well i mean listen fentanyl has has uses in surgical right, settings right you know and as, but as at an a take-home medication there's not perhaps not right yeah i mean but the thing is it's like there's you know there's no you know there's no like the con the continuity or the continuum of how we use drugs in this country it's like advil gabapentin opioids right and it's like okay maybe we need something in there right and like cannabis is essentially a huge toolbox that if we decide to like unlock it we can find i'm sure you know uh, solutions to a lot of the health issues that we're that we're struggling with in developing effective drugs to treat them because right now we find that you know using petrochemicals to develop synthetic molecules uh to treat these very narrow indications you know, that have all these other systemic effects, most of them not great, aren't maybe the way to go, right? Like, as a pharmacology issue, like, cannabis is, you know, it's a revolution in, in the wings, right? As, as with, you know, psilocybin and a lot of these other, you know, plant-based uh, medicines. So you were in D.C., you are making the right. policy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you were, and, and you were at the um, uh, American Legion, which yeah. I've always thought of being 
pretty right wing. Am I so, correct there? So I joined the I I, uh, I got hired in February of 2017, and the Legion that prior August in 2016 just passed a rescheduling and research resolution uh, in support of cannabis. Okay, that, that comes that's unexpected. Right. So, uh, like right now, most of the veteran service organizations at least embrace research. The Legion and now AMVETS uh, are basically wow. the, the most forward leaning, and the AMVETS uh, just passed a resolution in August that we uh, helped a little bit with, um, that basically uh, came out in, in support of descheduling, which is where we're trying to get everybody. Wow. So, I mean, like, we're, I mean, we, in addition to, you know, we're legislative advocates. Sorry. So, I mean, like, once, you know, the opioid thing basically opened my eyes to the need for persistent veteran advocacy on cannabis issues, and I saw that that wasn't being fulfilled by anyone, really, and I saw that as a huge missed opportunity, plus like a, a very a key missing piece to what would eventually be the coalition you're ne- you're going to need to make legalization a reality, right? Veterans by themselves are not going to be able to pave the way for legalization, but veterans and doctors and police officers and you know faith uh, leaders and you know the co- that coalition can deliver. Um, now veterans pr- can provide, I think, a very uh, effective means of rallying a lot of other. Um, coalition members around the cause. And that's where I see, again, where, where we play our, our most effective role is in trying to, trying to find ways to bring more consensus in the veteran community, show others you know, examples of you know, non-stigmatized, non-stereotypical use of cannabis, in like success stories. I mean, there's very, there's very, it's, it's really hard to stare at, to, you know, look at a veteran who has suffered, you know, tremendous mental and physical trauma, who has, you know, was on the end of, at the, at, you know, figuratively and sometimes literally at the end of their rope on a, on a slew of pharmaceuticals, who are, is now like the most productive and healthy they have been, you know, just using cannabis, right? That, it, that story sells itself, but like it's one that has to be told a million times. And it needs to be told from as many different perspectives, essentially, as possible. And veterans are just one. I mean, you can, there's a lot of perspectives within veteran community, but you know, it is just one of the perspectives that uh, needs to be um, heard in D.C. But you know, you you were also dealing with I, a lot of army bases are in places like Texas, for instance, mm-hmm. um, in in the South, where the attitude towards cannabis is pretty retro. Yeah, it's pretty pretty difficult. I mean, here in California. You know, I, I imagine it's, it's like you've, you've got some good support. But um, out there, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. You're, yeah, well, I, I mean, mean, you bring this up and it's like weird hippie. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, that's again, that's where the, the veteran thing, you know, it, good or bad, you know, good, bad or neutral. Right. Like, be, you know, being a veteran in this country provides some 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 amount of credibility. Mm-hmm. in these conversations and when you're speaking to your own truth and you know i'm a policy guy so i can rattle off statistics and you know research and information and basically just overwhelm them because uh, there's really no argument i haven't heard at this point as to why cannabis should be treated anything you know as anything other than like a food and a medicine right so are there veterans who are not pro-cannabis oh sure yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, just like it, with everybody but in all so, so, walks of life. You so there have been two, a few surveys that have been conducted in the veteran community. Uh, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America have done a couple membership surveys, and the American Legion commissioned a survey in 2017 of about uh, of like uh, 
of veteran households around the country. Um, and basically what both of those surveys came back with was about one in five veterans uses cannabis for medically, uh, for medical reasons. And about 80 to 80 plus percent of veterans are in favor of cannabis, uh, medical access. Now they're not, but when you look at general population, um, they tend to be a little bit behind both in favor of legalization and medical access. And that's just to be expected Mm -hmm. because this is the other stat of veterans, right? There's about 20 million veterans are According to the VA data, uh, about 80% men, uh, excuse me, 90% men, 80% white, and half of them are over 65, right? So that, you know, that's a lot of the veteran community, right? And that is not necessarily, you know, I was just talking about all these different perspectives, right? Uh, at the same time, you know, our, the post 9-11 generation of veterans of which, you know, that's who most of the cannabis advocates around the country in the veteran community are, are post 9-11 vets. We are the most diverse. Now, not so much in the gender side, of course, because it's still like 80-20. Mm-hmm. It, it's better now than it ever has been, but um, but at least, you know, uh, you know, ethnically and, and uh, uh, we have at least uh, parity with the population. My dad's a veteran, right. falls into that older white guy, sure. same thing. But Well, I mean, <laughs> listen, that, the, the country you, the But country he's pro-cannabis. Used to be, right. Well, I mean, when you think about like how most, veter- most veterans came from very specific periods of war. So like the last big war was the Vietnam generation, of which there's like six and a half million. Uh, roughly. And, you know, the country was a lot whiter back then, right. you know, and basically only males were being drafted. So, I mean, that that's just sort of how, you know, how the popul- how why the, why the data kind of skews the way it does. For the record, my what, dad's a dentist in the military. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Akin to what you say about the, um, the power of veterans to change things, I mean, I think back on how I thought one of the most influential groups back in the day was the Vietnam Veterans Against the War. I mean, it was hard to... It was hard to, um, you know, dismiss them as just a bunch of hippies. These were guys who had served. These were guys who were in wheelchairs. These were guys who had given up a great, great deal um, and had to be taken very seriously. And I know they still weren't taken all that seriously. I mean, there are plenty of folks out there who are waving flags and... But well, look how they were be, stigmatized. They, you know, would stigmatize them. And yet, yeah. there were probably at least a few who went, he served. He's, I, I got I to listen to what he has to say. And in this case, you have people who have served, who are serving. Um, but there is unquestionably an issue in terms of, you know, post-service dealing with pain. And, and you know, sm- smoking a J while you're on, um, on night duty. Um, I mean, how, how do you reconcile those two sides there? Well, I mean, A, the military has a huge issue with harm from tobacco and alcohol. Active duty military consume alcohol and tobacco at far higher rates than, uh, you know, non... Always have. It's a tradition. And, and, vet, and, that, and that basically extends into veterans as well, right? And here's the thing, right? We know those two substances, alcohol and tobacco, are associated with about 600,000 deaths a year in this country, right? And they're completely legal. They're not good legal. for you? No, right. They're completely legal, completely normalized. Wait, and, I can buy them anywhere without a child-resistant container? Are they sold at the, at the, at the PX, the BX? Oh, sure. Was, okay. Yeah, which, which is funny because I, I just saw a post uh, from someone who took a took a picture of the PX where they had removed the vaping carts and said, uh, in the issue in the interest of public safety, we've removed uh, you know vaporizer devices and, and pods, right next to all cartons of cigarettes, combustible uh-huh. cigarettes, right. and it's like okay, listen, I'm not. 
I'm not a, I would prefer no one use nicotine, right? Because that doesn't really provide a whole lot of benefit. I'm not sure there's one benefit, but go on. It's a stimulant, <laughs> right? I mean, so I think there, you know, appetite suppressant. I mean, there's like maybe some very narrow like applications for where's, you know, nicotine. I'm going to start using that as an excuse. But, but it's very, but it's, <laughs> but listen, it's addictive, right? And when it's concentrated in the form of like, you know, a nicotine oil or like a pod, right? It's that much more addictive. However, what you're not getting is the slew of carcinogens that you get when you combust tobacco. Right. right. So we know that like the preference is that no one uses, but that's not that's not reasonable. And nor should we ever try to enforce that because that's incredibly authoritarian. Right. And say, no, you don't have the you know, the, you don't have the agency to decide what you know substances you can use. Like that's that goes back to the, the this basic idea behind like why cannabis and drug criminalization in general have been such a assault essentially across our entire concept of like, liber- you know, of like personal liberty. Right. That the government is going to criminalize you for using drugs it doesn't like and it's going to do everything up to including taking your life if it doesn't, you know, based on how it doesn't like you uh, doing that. Right. And we've allowed that because most of that that hammer has mostly fallen not on, you know, white people, essentially. Right. That hammer fell, you know, f- you know, fell mostly on you know, African-Americans, Latinos and poor people. Right. Who generally have not had a voice in this country up until, you know, very recently, historically. So and now and you're starting to see a change in policy. And that's and it's like we, we have to wonder. There's no reason to wonder why. It's because now people who have been, you know, demonized and stigmatized and criminalized for so long are finally starting to find their their voices and their way to power. And now you're starting to see the conversation change. I mean, four pres- four presidential candidates came out this week with plans and comments and statements about how, you know, what legalization is going to look like, you know, how they're going to achieve that. And some of them, you know, Better O'Rourke and uh, Pete Buttigieg went even further in talking about decriminalizing drugs. And Better O'Rourke wants to do a Portugal model, which, hey, they've decriminalized drugs for 20 years and they've seen reductions in almost all the problematic, uh, you know, uh, public health issues around uh, drug consumption, like, uh, you know, transmission rates and, you know, petty crime and things like that. So I, I smoked, but I didn't inhale. Is no longer the model. I well, that's gonna be the that's gonna be the next real threshold. Is is there gonna be uh, a sitting politician of any kind who is willing to be public and you know upfront about their cannabis use? I think that's the key to the next election. Is if someone speaks out pro it, that's going to take a huge amount of votes in their favor and really help swing the election. Right. Well, I mean, all the Democrats minus Joe Biden are essentially in favor of legalization right. in some way, shape or form. But someone right. needs to make it one of the forefronts of their platform. I agree. And no one's doing it. And they well, and, that I, and like schools and gun control. Well, and I, I'd like to put this out here in case anybody who's uh, you know working on a campaign is listening, <laughs> is that the, the trick to the trick to making cannabis prohibition happen is by connect or excuse me by making ending cannabis prohibition happening happen is by connecting it with other public policy issues that people you know quote unquote care about more so like cannabis is such a healthcare issue right cannabis access and cannabis research there's there's such obvious healthcare issues not to mention okay we want to talk about the environment you know climate change uh, environmental crisis well great hey how about a government program where we start planting millions of acres of contaminated soil with hemp as a sequestration project Right. How about like, how about we just start doing something? Right. And what cannabis basically is offering, you know, should we choose to accept it is a is, again, that toolbox and not just when it comes to, you know, improving public health. And, you know, again, not just with veterans, but with every American, because, I mean, children use cannabis, too. Right. Yeah. And and to great effect. So 
you know, the, if a politician, I think, really grasped the utility of cannabis and then connected that, connecting ending prohibition to increasing the utility or making all of these things, you know, better, right? Like cannabis, pro, ending cannabis prohibition is the enhancer to all of these other issues that people are, are talking about. I think that would be how we sell this. Um, Can end all the wars while we hold hands well, and kumbaya. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think at, at this point we. I mean, I. I mean, I agree. To, I. I some, to, to some extent, I do agree. Right? Like, I'm just I, being I, funny. No, but I mean, like, Extreme. hey, what, what what would life be like if people just didn't consume alcohol or tobacco? Right? If like the recreational drug of choice was cannabis, you know? And okay, do you, I mean, are we gonna ha would that ha have it lead to a decrease in violence? Maybe. I mean, like, I would say, uh, considering the amount of violent crime that's associated with alcohol use, yeah, I'd say that's probably a good bet, right? Would it lead to a decrease in public health costs and insurance costs and everything else that people care about? Oh, hell yeah, right? When you have 600,000 people less dying uh, from associated causes a year from very chronic and expensive conditions like emphysema and like cirrhosis and things like that, liver disease of various kinds, right? Like all that stuff's very costly to everybody, to society and yep. to the patient, most, most importantly. So, you know, this is a, uh, you know, consider it a cost-saving measure. <laughs> I'm, I'm on board. Okay, you, the organization has been around for how long now? About 18 months. We've been 18 months. What have you accomplished in the 18 months? What, what, how, how, is, sure. how have you moved the goalposts in that time? So we basically got right off to a really good start in that we helped move the VA Medicinal Cannabis Research Act last year. Um, that was under Republican leadership, and we got the first cannabis reform, but we helped make the first cannabis reform bill ever to pass out of congressional committee. Wow. Um, that same bill, though, we have been struggling to move this year under Democratic leadership. Wow. Which is odd, but, uh, you know, there's obviously political priorities and other things in play. But you know what? You know, th this is, it's an obstacle that can be overcome, right? Like, n none of this stuff is, uh, is like, in insurmountable. So, um, the VA Medicinal Cannabis Research Act has kind of been one of our key pieces of legislation and something that we've been very closely monitoring and working on. What does it do? Uh, it would direct the VA to conduct cannabis research, essentially, okay. um, along like pretty, pretty broad guidelines. Uh, and the problem is like the VA opposes cannabis research because it's a federally, you know, it, you know, right. ca the cannabis plant is a federally controlled substance. Of course, our argument has been, well, there are cannabinoids right now that are all that are FDA approved that you can do new re do an investigative new drug trial on right. and get it you know indicated for new conditions like hey epidiolex is great yep. but it's only approved for drivets and you know a few other like epilepsy causing uh, things. so so they have to get their supply from that sad little farm down in yeah. mississippi if you want to use botanical cannabis basically all government approved cannabis comes from the university of mississippi and what they do is they will mill that whole plant so yeah. So like it's not so much that the, it's I mean the the buds you know the flower of the plant would be bad enough but like the, they take they take like you know low end flower and essentially grind it up with the stem stalk and leaves right and it's just and that's why you have isn't that called full plant extract <laughs> well you know and if and if and if they and if they allowed just using like a, a basic alcohol extraction you could at least get some like measurable amounts of cannabinoids the problem is. You, they, it's like essentially they measure the THC levels of it, of of the weed, but that's it, right? Like so, there's so many, there's so many issues with trying to do research on botanical cannabis, 
right? And while I am a huge believer in the ensemble or entourage effect, and I, you know, I consume flour myself, I understand that when we're trying to bring drugs, you know, new drugs to market in a way that's like without recreating the entire FDA approval process, like I don't know how to do that in addition to also trying to end cannabis, by the way. Right. Right. So like we try to like we, we have to work within certain, you know, constraints at the moment, which is we have to be able to get molecules, you know, essentially identify molecules and research them. Right. We already have those molecules identified. We know what THC looks like. We know what CBD looks like. Now we just need to uh, really embrace research. And the VA Medicinal Cannabis Research Act is a big part of that. So beyond beyond that bill, we've had uh, we testified before Congress, before the House, uh, uh, the House Committee on Small Business on Veterans and Cannabis Issues uh, back in June. Um, and, you know, we do uh, educational events and panels. We've done multiple panels in D.C. I mean, one of the things we try to do is bring other veteran voices into the Capitol. So, you know, that staff and essentially, you know, members of Congress, when we can get them, uh, are starting to see, you know, more faces, you know, that they can go down the hall and check out themselves of people telling these stories. Because, like, my co-founder and I can only, you know, people people know who we are and they know what we're talking about at this point, right? But we need, we need to add more, you know, uh, more fuel to the fire uh, to really get things moving. And, and that's part of it. So what's people, your website that sorry. they can get yeah. more oh, information on? I was about to say, how do people want yeah, to get yeah. involved? Sure. Find you. Exactly. Uh, we're at veteranscannacoalition.org. Veterans, C-A-N-N-A, coalition.org. Uh, and it's Veterans Canna Coalition on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, we're also on Twitter. Eric Opel, you're doing the Lord's work here. I wish you the best of luck. I appreciate you're it. Really, Thank you so much. You're really helping. You're, do, you're doing what should have been done by our government a long time ago, but uh, they need a little education. Well, I mean, it's it's a uh, it is definitely a movement, right? Like, this is this is going to be something we do, um, you know, as as a whole society. Because I don't otherwise we're yeah otherwise we're not going to get what we really want in our lifetimes. In our lifetimes. Eric Opel, thank you very much. Your name pronounced correctly. <laughs> it, it's Meryl Schindler. It's Joanna Belson. It's Phil Giangrande here on High in the Hog. Our guests just keep getting more and more interesting. I'm loving this. Thank you, sir. Thank you. The best of luck. High in the Hog, it's your one place to find information about medical cannabis, about the stuff that's really the talk of the world. Find us on iTunes, find us on Amazon, find us on the internet. High in the Hog, the podcast.com. That's High in the Hog, the podcast.com. Tell a friend. <laughs>